All right, well, we are in a series called Who Am I? And the reality, the truth for us is that my identity is not in anything that I create or bring to the table. It's in who God is, who he's created me to be, what he's doing in my life. Now, before we jump into our message today, uh, I do want to lift up uh, Thursday is the National Day of Prayer. And we don't want you to just pray, but we believe that there's a special kind of power when God's people pray in unity. And so we're going to call on you on Getwell Church to be praying in unity on Thursday. And to create a way for that to happen, we've put together a prayer guide where we're going to pray together at the top of every, every hour on Thursday from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. And as you walk through it, you'll find that we're moving from a center and moving out as we pray uh, for our world and our nation and our churches and our own lives and our own community. And we encourage you to uh, pick one of these up if you're in the room, they're at the back of the room, or if you're catching up later online or maybe you're online uh, here live with us right now, uh, you can go to our website, getwellchurch.org and go to the events page and you'll find a PDF there. And if that's not enough, follow us on Facebook and we'll give you some prompts on Facebook all through Thursday because we want you to join us. Uh, I believe that God moves in powerful ways when we humble ourselves and we pray with a spirit and a heart of unity. God, we want you to do what only you can do. Uh, let's not be a church that depends on what we can do. Uh, let's let the Lord move and do what only God can do. All right, well, let me ask you a question as we jump into our message today. We're talking about identity. Who am I? And the question I want to ask is, or the exercise I want you to step into, is I want you to think about for a moment who you are. Or what is your core identity? But here's the catch. You cannot use anything to define yourself that you do. You have to remove that from the equation because there is a stark difference between what I do and who I am. But for a lot of that, us, that is a very difficult task. How do I talk about myself and who I am apart from what I do? I mean, think about the ways that we describe when we think about who we are, our core identity. Uh, for some of us, where we start, we start with relationships. We start with the roles that we play. So I'm a mom or I'm a dad. Uh, I'm a brother or a sister. I, I'm in a, a relationship. Uh, maybe I'm a husband or a wife or I'm dating this person. And I define myself based on that role that I play in a relationship. For some of us, maybe it's not uh, a relationship. Maybe it might be your job or your career. I mean, think about it. When you meet somebody new, I, I would bet 99% of the time, one of your first three questions is, what do you do? Because we're wired for some reason to identify who we are by our jobs and our careers. Uh, maybe it's not your job. Maybe it's your hobby and what you're passionate about. And you think about, well, I'm an athlete, or I'm a musician, or I'm an artist, or I'm a, an uh, outdoors enthusiast, or whatever it might be. And we can define ourselves by what we are passionate about when it comes to hobbies. And I know that because uh, we spend, many of us, a majority of our time, energy, and resources around those things that we're passionate about because we find ourselves identifying with those things of who we are. 
Uh, maybe it's not any of those. Maybe for you, it's an accomplishment. Uh, these are the things that I've achieved in life, and I, I, I've met this mark, and this is who I am. Or you might be on the flip side, and you've experienced some tragic failure in your life. Maybe it's your own failure, or failure of somebody in your uh, world as you were coming to age, and you have allowed a failure to define who you are. And maybe it's none of that. Maybe for some of us, it's what we uh, collect and what we possess. You know, that I am this house that I have, or I am this car, or I am my bank account. And we don't like to admit that, but how much of us, the fear takes hold when any time that those things are in danger, because we have allowed ourselves to identify who I am based on what I possess. But here's the problem with any of those. You know, all of those in the right perspective can be good and healthy and nice things in our world. But every single one of those, even when they're good, will one day come to an end. And even in this life, they always fall short of being able to tell me who I am. And so how do I understand who I am? Well, Paul gives us a clue. He's writing a letter to the church in Rome, and he kind of lays out a, a full uh, mode of his theology of here's what I believe about God and about Jesus and us. And right in the middle of this letter to the church in Rome is Romans chapter 8. There's a section where he says, this is how we know who we are. So let's take a look. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 12. Paul writes, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God, and here's our main point today. Y'all say it with me. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are what? The children of God. What we're going to discover is that who I am is rooted in that statement that we are children of God. Let's keep going. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are. Here it is again, that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. If Paul were to sum up what he's trying to share with us about who we are, he would say that understanding who I am is rooted in understanding whose I am. That I can only know who I am when I understand who I belong to, who created me. And so much of the time, our temptation is not to turn to whose I am, but our temptation is to try to discover who I am by either creating who I am, or we say, you know what, I'm going to look within and I'm going to find myself. Now, here's the problem with that. So much of the time when I'm trying to create who I am 
or I'm trying to find who I am and I look within, what I discover is that what I bring to the table is a whole lot of confusion and a whole lot of mess and very little clarity. And what I want to suggest to you is that we can't look within, we've got to look up. That this is not something that we create on our own. Instead, identity is more received than achieved. That God really does want to speak to you today and say, let me tell you who you are. Let me help you discover the reality of your identity. It's not found in you creating it. I can think about when I went to college and I thought, man, this is the opportunity for me to create and define a new self. And man, I created just a big mess. Instead of finding who God wanted me to be, trying to create who I wanted to be, was really problematic. And, and here's why. One reason that this is a big problem for us is because at the end of the day, nobody here, nobody watching online can ever say that I created me. Nobody can say, I put breath in these lungs. I make this heart to beat. Nobody can ever say that I thought up life itself. I don't have the authority or the power to decide my identity. Another part of the problem that many of us face is that when we try to create who we are or we're trying to look inside and find who we are, is that we discover that there's all the confusion and, and we, we're not really sure who we are. And at times I, I can, you know, lean into what the world says or I can lean into what I feel, right? And then there's all these problems. But here's the biggest problem of all. The biggest problem with trying to define who you are rather than receiving it, trying to create it instead of letting God give it, is what if, just hypothetically, what if I look inside to find myself and what I want, what I desire, what I think about life doesn't actually line up with reality? What if what I find inside is actually more akin to a lie than it is truth? Look back at the way Paul put it in verses 12 and 13. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation to what? It's not to the flesh. In other words, Paul is saying you are not obligated to follow every thought, every feeling, every desire. That you can actually measure that up against truth. We don't have to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will do what? You'll die. And he's not just talking about like one day they're going to put me in the ground. And that's coming and, there, and there's an eternity at stake. But how many of us by pursuing what we think and want and desire have experienced all kinds of death along the way already? Death of a hope, a dream, a relationship, an opportunity. You don't have to live according to that. You will die if you, by the Spirit though, if you put to death the misdeeds, and that's the key word, the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Let me say it this way. Every desire is real, but it is not always true. We will all have desires that want to control us, want to define us. That this is what I want in life. This is what I want to pursue. This is what I'm feeling and it's there. 
But does it line up with who God's created me to be? Does it line up with the life God wants for me? Because if I pursue something just because I desire it and it doesn't line up with reality, I'm going to experience a lot of brokenness and a lot of heartache. But if I will align myself with truth, even when I don't understand it, I can know that there's life on the other side. See, many of us, we live our lives thinking that we've just got this multitude of choices. And I've got all this, this buffet of life's opportunities before me for relationships and opportunities and things that I will pursue and partake in. And I get to choose what I want along the way. And I get to decide what's good for me. But what Paul would say to us is, no, you don't have multiple choices. You have one choice. One choice. What does Paul say? You can choose the flesh or the spirit. Now, the word that Paul uses for flesh is the word sarx, A-S-A-R-X. And it's defined in three different ways as you read it throughout Scripture. It was used in three different ways. So often as language is, uh, it could mean our physical body, our flesh and blood. It could mean our race or our ethnicity. Or as Paul uses it here, as we saw the, the translators put it, the misdeeds of the flesh. About 350 years after Jesus walked this earth, a bishop named St. Augustine of Hippo, he phrased it this way. He called it the misordered desires of our lives. In other words, sometimes we desire the wrong things and sometimes we desire the right things but in the right wrong order. I, mean, I love my job, but if I love my job more than my family, then I'm not going to experience the blessing of my job or my family. I love my family, but if I love my family more than God, then I'm not going to experience the blessings of God or my family. It's misordered. It's put in the wrong order. And here's what happens when we allow ourselves to give in to the misordered desires of our lives. The first thing that will happen is we will choose immediate satisfaction for long-term disappointment. I think about uh, my wife, Jessie. She's an incredible cook. Uh, if you ever want some good food, you can come over to her house, but especially desserts. Uh, like she makes the most amazing desserts. If you've ever been on the other side of that, you know how uh, awesome it is. And there's some major temptation when it comes to something sitting on the counter. And I think back when I was in college for my birthday when we were dating, she made me this huge chocolate chip cheesecake. I mean, big, 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 wonderful uh, dessert. And over about 48 hours, I ate the entire thing. <laughs> now, I was younger then. But what I know today is that if I choose the immediate satisfaction of eating an entire cheesecake, I'm going to have some major disappointment over the next couple of days. <laughs> now, that's kind of silly, but a lot of us are doing that with our lives. Where we say, well, who I am is what I want. And who's going to tell me what I can do with my life and what I shouldn't pursue? It's in me. It's real. Shouldn't I go after it? And what we don't understand is that in pursuing that, there's some major long-term disappointment coming. And we trade that immediate satisfaction for long-term disappointment. Or it might be that we choose the feeling of freedom for the reality of bondage. And we think, well, I've got this freedom to choose what I want to do with my life and, and what I want to pursue and, and what I want to hold on to. 
And what we sometimes discover is that in choosing that, yeah, you can choose it. You have the freedom to choose it. But on the other side, we make slaves of ourselves to the things in life. Now, the obvious uh, example is addiction. You know, where I have the freedom to choose this substance. And right now, it's meeting a short-term feeling that I desire or I feel like I need. And I feel like I can walk away from it at any time. And then some point in our life, we, we discover, man, I'm a slave to this. But it's not just substances. We sometimes do that with relationships and people. I, I can choose this relationship. I can walk away at any point. I, I'm in control. Are you really? We do it with roles that we play. Well, I can decide, really? And we trade what we think is freedom and we allow ourselves to become slaves. But it doesn't have to be this way. Paul says it's not just a choice about flesh, the misordered desires, but we can also choose the spirit. The word is pneumati. And he's literally talking about the Holy Spirit's work and unity with us. Here's the miracle of all miracles, friends. It is not just that God would forgive us. That's awesome. That's amazing. But the miracle is that God would love us so much that he wants to be one with us. And when we say yes to Jesus, I trust you, take my life, he gives us the Holy Spirit and becomes one with us. That is amazing. And Paul says, when God is moving in our lives and we're surrendered to Jesus, we confess with our mouth and trust with our heart that we can now choose the Spirit. And we don't have to understand everything to step in faith and say, God, I choose you and I choose your ways. And here's what happens when we choose the Spirit. Number one, as I choose a feeling of sacrifice for long-term satisfaction. God, I feel like I'm missing out right now. I want to go be a part of this. I want to be in this relationship. God, I want to step into this and participate in it and enjoy it. But God, you're telling me to go over here. And even though I don't understand it, I'm going to trust you and I'm going to walk in your ways. And I'm going to miss out. It's going to feel like I'm missing out, but I know that I'm really stepping in to the life you want for me. We're trading out a short-term sacrifice for a long-term satisfaction. And we're also feeling like we're losing control. I, I feel like I'm submitting, but ultimately I'm stepping into freedom. That God moves in our lives in such a way that I, I'm not a slave. I'm stepping away from being a slave to my desires, a slave to my wants, a slave to my worldview, a slave to the immediate needs that I think that I have. And I'm stepping into freedom for life in Jesus, for life driven by the Spirit, for life in Him. And with it comes all the fulfillment that I'm longing for. Peace, love, Joy, purpose, meaning, grace, hope. All those things that are deeply rooted in the longing of my heart and soul that I so often miss because I'm living on the surface. When I choose to step into the Spirit, it's when I experience those things. And here's why. Here's why. It's because God wants to move me from slave to child. 
He doesn't want me to be in bondage to what I want, what I desire, what I think in the moment. That's not who I am. Please hear me in this. Just because you want it or feel like you need it, that doesn't mean that's who you are. God says, you are a child of mine. Look at the way Paul says it. Verse 14, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are what? Children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves. That's what you were. So that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. I don't have to continue to be a slave to what I want or feel or think. It's real. It's there. It's got to be dealt with. I can't ignore it. I can't brush it under the rug, but I don't have to be a slave to it. See, I don't have to be a slave to what I want in the moment, what I desire in the moment, what I desire in life. It may stay with me till I go into the ground, but I don't have to be a slave to it. I don't have to be a slave to what the world tells me that I should live about or what I should think, or what I should do with those desires. I don't have to be a slave to my successes or failures. I can live knowing who I am. That God is inviting me into freedom because of this one truth, is that ultimately who I am is rooted in whose I am. That who I am is I'm a child of the living God. And I can trust him to walk in his ways. I can trust him that there is life in him. And there's a reward coming when I trust him even when I don't understand it. And this is what Paul says about that reward. Verse 16. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. There it is again, in case you missed it. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. In other words, what the reward we have coming is not because of us, it's because of Jesus. And when we trust in him, we are one with him and we receive what's coming to him, his inheritance. And if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. So we have some things coming to us. See, if we really are children of God, then God says we receive an inheritance. And what is that inheritance? Number one, it's freedom from sin and for faith. That I don't have to live as a slave to just every want and desire, even if it doesn't line up with truth. I can choose God's ways. Number two, it means that I can relate to God as Abba. That means daddy, that we can come to him regardless of whatever kind of human relationship you've ever had on this earth, that God wants to have an intimate connection with you driven by love and grace and provision and protection and guidance. He wants to wrap you up in his arms. When you are hurting, he says, come to me and let me comfort you. When you're lost, he says, let me point the way for you. When you're weak, he says, let me be strong for you because I'm your father. That's the freedom we experience in him. Number three, it means that I have true confidence and a clear identity. That when I try to decide who I am, I just get muddled and confused. And I'm trying to decide amongst all the different voices of what way I'm going to pursue. But when I just say, Lord, I don't always understand it, but I'm just going to follow you. Then we begin to experience a clarity 
about who we are. And then finally, what do we inherit? It's forever life with God in the new heaven and the new earth. That we have a hope, a promise that we're going to be with Christ forever, worshiping in a perfect paradise. And it'll be perfect, not because of what surrounds, but it'll be perfect because we're with Jesus. And that's what we have, an inheritance through Jesus from our Father. And so my encouragement for us, ultimately, is will you see that God is pursuing you through his son? Will you seek him? Will you choose to trust him? Ultimately, we, whatever we pursue in this life, it all comes down to a choice of what will I put my faith in? Will you trust him? And then God has given us some incredible ways to experience physically what he's doing spiritually. To be able to hear from his voice that you belong to me, that you have worth and meaning and purpose, that you can bring to all the things in your life rather than trying to get it from them, that, that we can hear that voice of God through prayer, through reading his word, through fasting, through time in silence, through time in worship, these gifts that God has given us to experience physically what he's doing spiritually. Will we pursue and embrace those things? And here's what we have to do ultimately to be able to walk into that and hear God's voice is we've got to silence some of the other voices. There are a lot of voices, sometimes inside us, sometimes outside of us that say things like, you don't matter. You don't have worth. Or they say more likely for us, well, you'll matter when. You'll matter if. When you do this, if you do that, then you can find some meaning and purpose and worth. And we do it in relationships, like I'll matter when somebody loves me. We do it in our careers, I'll matter when I hit this mark. We do it in our pursuit of things that we have, I'll matter when I have the things that I want. We gotta silence those voices and hear this voice of God. You can know who you are when you know whose you are. It's not anything you can achieve, but you can receive it from me. Will you trust me? And here's where we start. In any aspect of scripture, of truth, of theology, here's where we always start. We start with Jesus. If you're wrestling and you're not sure and you got more questions than answers, start with Jesus. Look at his life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection. Start there and work out. And you'll find that God says to you, you are my son, you are my daughter. Find life in that.